for another episode of the Black Content Corner. So, we're coming up on a holiday. And we're coming up... Actually, let me back up. And I do want to say a rest in power. Let me find... I don't know why I didn't get his name. But there was another black man that was killed um, by the police. It's actually a pastor that was killed. And... um. I'm not going to go into a a speech, and I apologize for not having his name ready. It just came to my mind as soon um, as we started. But it was during a mental health call, too. Let me see if I can find it real fast, guys. But it happened in Texas, and he was having – it was a mental health call, and he ended up being killed um, by a police officer. So – Rest in power. Oh, here's Patrick Lynn Warren. He was 52 of, is it Killeen, Texas? Or Killeen, Texas? Killeen, Texas. You got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was killed. Um, I said it was in like emotional distress or something like that. So rest in power to Patrick Lynn Warren, who was a pastor that was shot by the police. So... We're going to move on to a, another pastor that was killed by the state. And we're going to talk about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, his birthday is, is was on the 15th, and a lot of folks get Monday off in honor of him. And um, I think every year we see there are like little grumblings about kind of the image of Martin Luther King and how it's been super whitewashed. And you only pull, like, the inspirational quotes and, you know, white people love to talk about how, you know, he's peaceful and love everybody. But, you know, I think a lot of black folks know, like, that wasn't what Martin Luther King was all about. There was more to him. And so what I would like to do is kind of talk about the later years of Martin Luther King and you know what he believed in and what his goals were and I would like to reclaim Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and actually talk about (laughs) you know what he really especially in the the later years because what I want to say there is kind of like a difference between um like him in like the 50s and the early 60s and then I feel like maybe like after 1964 there definitely was a shift in his thinking and what he wanted to focus on so the first thing that I do want to point out is I looked up Martin Luther King's approval ratings and I got this from the Huffington Post so only 36 percent of white Americans thought that Martin Luther King was helping the Negro cause of civil rights and that's according to the Roper Public the Roper Center of Public Opinion Research. And in 1966, a Gallup poll showed that more than 63% of the public rated King more negatively than positively. And when I say 63%, that's a majority of the country, and that also includes black people. So while we're up here celebrating this man, please know that most of the country didn't even like Martin Luther King at the time. And it is because of the um, ideas that he brought forth after the Voting Rights Act passed, after um, the March on Washington, like all the stuff that he's praised for, he... The thinking that he had after that, that's what people didn't like. They weren't caping for him no more. And so after King was assassinated, two-thirds of Americans said their strongest reaction to his death had been sadness, anger, shame, or fear. And another 31%, however, said they felt like he brought it on himself. So that's a third of the freaking country that thought that Martin Luther King's assassination was his own doing. And so that I want to paint this picture of how the actual picture of what it of what America was like back in the 60s before we get to today where, you know, we talk about little black girls and little white girls playing together on a playground, Um, which is still like 
those speeches were important and the work he did for equality was important. We all know that he was about nonviolence, but it's also important to highlight the other causes that he wanted to fight for. And one thing that we don't really talk about is his time in Chicago, which is something I kind of just not recently, but I learned about later in life and how that kind of affected, um, um, what he wanted to do so in like 1966 is when I believe he moved to Chicago with his family and I want to say that he did kind of move into the hood and that's where they had the Chicago freedom movement during this time and it was like various Chicago organizations along with the SCLC they partnered to bring economic changes to the city and King thought it was really important to go to Chicago to show that racism wasn't just in the South. We had a lot of, there's still a lot of racism going on in the North and also on the West Coast as well. You had the LA riots, um, you had Detroit riots going on. So it definitely happens across the country. And, and if you ever visit outside the South, especially if you're from the South or you're not from the South and you think about the South, people really think like, racism is like just in the south and it's super bad in the south but people fail to realize that the same things that happen in like mississippi alabama and georgia happen in new york state happen in california happen in any other uh, one of these states that it's not in the southwest no southeast sorry so moving on to that um what was birthed out of the chicago freedom movement was the poor people's campaign and it was Martin Luther King's idea was to have people descend out to Washington, to Washington D.C., as well as other states throughout the country to push for more jobs, um, unemployment insurance, a fair minimum wage, education for poor adults and children, so that they could have a um, well in quotes designed to improve their self-image and self-esteem. And one of the things that I think is really important. So he 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 said he was still nonviolent, but he was a big proponent for mass civil disobedience. And so um, I'm going to read one of the quotes that he says. And he says, mass civil disobedience can use rage as a constructive and creative force. It is purposeless to tell Negroes they should not be enraged when they should be. Indeed, they will be mentally healthier if they do not suppress rage, but vent it constructively and use its energy peacefully but forcefully to cripple the operations of an oppressive society. Now, do I 100% rock with this quote? No, I mean, as a person, it's like when you burn a building down, I'm like, okay, whatever. Um let's keep it pushing and really fight for what we <laughs> for the issues that we really want to take um take over even though you know he talks about being peaceful um he still made a really good point as far as like you have to disrupt these systems and put your anger into something else other than just i don't want to say but you have to use the that energy and put it into making these changes. And so in 19, this is really close. So February 1968, which actually was the year that he was killed, he made specific demands as the following, $30 billion in anti-poverty, full employment, guaranteed income, and the annual construction of 500,000 affordable residences. Now, what happens to the Poor People's Campaign is Robert Abernathy had to take it over because before he could, King could really push it and, and see this, um, his dream realized in this particular campaign, he was assassinated. So, and I believe, I do not remember, somebody else took over the Poor People's Campaign. Like, it's still a thing. Um, is it Cornell West? It might be, it's two black men that run, like, the Poor People's Campaign now. I'm not sure who it is, though. Um, and another thing that I wanted to mention is a speech that Martin Luther King made. It's called The Other America, and he made this back in 1968. And he kind of highlights three different myths 
that we have to confront to actually move past um, racism and kind of make progress in America. And people pull from this speech, but not necessarily the quotes that I found interesting. So in in a other in the other America speech, this is the speech where he says like, protests are the cry of the unheard. So we hear that all the time, but they never really talk about it. And I've never seen anybody mention like the three topics that he talks about in this speech. And he also comes out, which he was doing a year before, but say how he was against the Vietnam War, which I think is another big thing that turned people off. So I'm gonna go through these three points first. So the first point that King makes that we should um, confront to get past racism in America is actually address the fact that America is racist. He says we will never solve the problem of racism, racism until there is a recognition of the fact that racism still stands at the center of so much of our nation and we must see racism for what it is. Is the nymph of an inferior people is the notion that one group has all the knowledge all of the insights, all of the purity, all of the work, all of the dignity, and another group is worthless on a lower level of humanity inferior. And I don't know why this quote is not widely used. I think it's very much so unfortunately relevant to today because that's kind of what we see in, in white people's thinking today, especially in current events where you have people saying they want to take their country back because they do believe that they have all the knowledge. They are the pure ones. They do all the work. <laughs> so it's like, now this, I don't, I don't think America will ever say, I don't know who has to say like, oh, America is racist because clearly black people have been saying it. There are other minorities that have said this. What is it going to take for America to, I guess, to acknowledge that they're racist. I know a part of it would be like the reparations portion of the talk, but I don't know. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I just don't see how they, how America can fully acknowledge its racism and be able to push past it. Do you think that can happen? Um, not as long as white people are. <laughs> white people i mean not really you know um at some point they are going to become the overwhelming minority so yeah you can kind of see that writing on the wall um do i know that it's going to be soon probably not like i said i mean maybe by the time 2040 2050 sure i can see it happening because white people aren't going to be around it's interesting that you say the timing part because right that just rolls right into what his second point was uh, Martin Luther King he was saying like a one another myth that we have is that we have time and he says in if you'll just be like if black people just be nice and patient and continue to pray in a hundred or two hundred years the problem will work itself out um, we must always and he also says we must always help time and realize that the time is always right to do right um this was back in 1968. <laughs> and hey, you said 100, 100 years. That's right in the timeline <laughs> I'm talking about. Me and Martin got the same vision. Okay. It'll get there. And, yeah. And it'll probably have to be to the point where when the country and the world turns more brown, that we can, you know, see a little more. Um, I mean,. Oppressive systems, unless those are dismantled, I don't think everybody will be out the clear. But it'll be some type of relief for us if um, once we go a little more brown. Um, I think even because the time. Because mm-hmm. I was gonna say, like you know, people are excited for the for the Biden administration takeover. Of course, it's seen as a liberal uh, administration now, but. White liberals don't help anybody, at least, you mm-hmm. know, not minority communities like they say they do. Um, so it, it is literally going to be, you know, brown people making legislations for other brown people, um, you know, when we're, you know, 20 years down the road. 
I also think about, I don't think it, it's going to be hard for us to survive another 50 years of what's going on. So like 1968 is what, 52 years ago? And think about mm-hmm. all that's happened in those 52 years. How many black people have been killed? How many black people have been harmed? Like another 50 years of this just to get like a little break. I don't even know if we can make it till then. Like something, and at, to his point, it's just like we have to, like the time is always right. So I think the more that that black folks get more radicalized and not lean on, you know, just wanting to be able to walk down the street or I can go to this store and someone's not following me. Like, it's more than that. Like, the we have to adjust the systems. Not just adjust them. We have to get rid of these systems and find something new because there's always going to be people that are going to be left behind. There's always going to be somebody that's going to be treated lesser than because of the way that things are set up now. So, I I don't know. And I'll just move on to the third point, which is very interesting. The third one is that the last myth is that legislation doesn't work. And so he says it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law can't make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. And one, um, another quote that I want to mention that he says in this section is like, we're reaping the harvest of this failure today. And to me, I think this, that quote rings, rings the loudest to me that we are reaping the harvest of this failure. And we are reaping the harvest of black people really made noise in the late sixties and early seventies. And we were really, you know, it, we saw this kind of black revolution, black power revolution and of course, once Ronald Reagan comes in, he found a way to squash that shit. And now we're reaping the failures of that from the the crack epidemic and mass incarceration. That's this is what we're reaping now because they sold into that back then. And so when we talk about legislation, I don't want to say I don't think it's a myth when we say it that it doesn't work. Um, because we see what they're doing, especially coming off of an election year and how Republicans are trying to pass these certain laws to make sure that black folks can vote. That's legislation, and that's negatively affecting us. But there can be legislation, and it's pretty sad that he mentions that um, legislation can prevent someone from lynching him when we Kamala, she introduced the bill trying to make lynching a, a federal crime. That's recent. <laughs> so even lynching is not still not necessarily illegal. It's in people, black people, for a minute was being found hanging from trees. Uh, was that? I think that was last year. So it's it kinda, was. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, we talk about how. You know, we obviously always said like we haven't how how things haven't changed much from the 60s. And it is sad. And it's time to quit to stop saying that, oh, because we haven't learned from the past, we can't move forward. Like, well, this is the time to freaking learn. Listen to people that come up with these new solutions and see where you can plug in. I feel like I say that often, but (laughs) I can't say it, you know, too many times. And I've. I think I'm going to put this quote that we're reaping the harvest of the spirit today. It has to go up somewhere because that it it really affected me when I read it. And so um, uh, in reading this speech, it felt like the crowd, I I feel like it's too much to say that they were hostile towards um, King, but they definitely weren't at this point where they were like cheering him on. Like I said, if majority of the country, um, really looked at him in a negative light that means a a good chunk of the people sitting in here listening to this speech were not for what what king was talking about and we really see it when he talks about being um against the vietnam war and 
Um, he has a speech that he made in April of 1967 called Beyond Vietnam. And he talks about how, you know, if you look at like the, the origins of the Vietnam War and why America's in this war and it's, you know, and it's like with any time that America intervenes into um, international countries, how it's very hypocritical. And I don't think people were ready to hear that, especially from him. And um, and I talked about it last week, kind of like this weird feeling towards like military and all that stuff. Because, you know, that's probably what the biggest uh, line items in America's budget is defense. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, why was this so polarizing? Especially in the 60s, we know black people are getting killed, beat, everything just because they want to be looked at as equal. Black people have always, black people have participated in every war in America. And even at this point in 1968, you see being a veteran meant nothing, especially if you were black. So I don't understand why people were so turned off by him being anti-war basically like i don't i i don't think black people were overwhelmingly turned off by that because you know there were so many of every i i I actually remember the from what i've read the majority of people being against the vietnam war um Mm -hmm. you know there there's there's a ton of songs and literature written about it muhammad ali went to prison over it like there Mm -hmm. there was a this war more people were against it uh as far as the american people than than were for Mm -hmm. it so um i'd be curious to see who who was turned off by that stance i I think that maybe if it was like a government type of deal to where kind of like today right if he's speaking out against one of trump's little people are people like yeah this dude is anti-government anti-war whatever the case may be you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the followers maybe that's where the hate comes from i don't know but that's a good question um i also think so there was a person that stood up and said something and it was a a veteran i'm assuming it was a black man and he was saying that he didn't want to fall into communism and i also think that is like a um propaganda yeah a key thing about that because back then in the 60s they they used communism to really target black people as well not just uh white hollywood or any white person um that was notable but they also targeted black people um saying that they were communists and which i think i'm put a pin in that and bring it up probably another episode just to even break that down like what is it so um i just i'm not surprised and i'm going to kind of bring this up a little bit later when I talk about one of the movies I watched, but just that idea, like, I empathize with him, with Martin Luther King so much towards the end part, because his, he literally wanted to tackle poverty for black folks, and this is at the same time that his popularity is going down, and I just, I don't know how that could have felt for him. And people always talk about, oh, what would happen if these people were still alive and how we romanticize these figures. But when in reality, they were facing a lot of hate from a lot of different areas, even your own people. So who is to say um, if Martin Luther King was still alive, they probably would have found a way to disgrace him. Would we be fucking with Martin Luther King now? Well, I mean, look what they did to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Not not to equate, but it is mm-hmm. a similar conversation to have when there's it, a, it comes to civil rights. Like a fall from grace, kind of, you know. There's no way he mm-hmm. would be able to make it to old age and be, like, spotless, you know. So, especially how... And you know what? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at these people. The, the reason that, that Dr. King and Malcolm X are remembered or Fred Hampton, you know, you they're martyrs, mm-hmm. right? Like... Of course, if they lived to be 90, like there's a reason we don't talk about Bill Russell, who's still alive and was a massive part of that, or Jim Brown, who was a massive part of that, even though there's a reason we don't talk about his ass. Um, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a massive part of that, like those guys are still alive and no one's rushing to ask them what the movement was like. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I think maybe we should stop romanticizing people. I think that's part of also why when I spoke about Angela Davis and needing 
like it's important to know where people's beliefs lie because it doesn't fall in line with how we see them with these rose colored glasses on and well absolutely i mean we talked about it i think last week when 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 we talked about uh sylvie's love you know we romanticize you know oh our my grandparents my grandma and granddaddy were together for so many years this is and the and the other without going to ask grandma like yo how'd y'all do this and listen to grandma say yeah i fucking hated him for about two three mm-hmm. decades to be honest with you <laughs> i didn't want to be in this marriage and that's 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 a commonality for people of that time and yet we still are like oh yeah i want to be married for 70 years i don't believe in divorce it's just, you know, we the, the rose-colored glasses, like you said. And I think we can talk about Martin Luther King in... Um, we can talk about him and acknowledge, like, we know that he had a thing for white women. We know that, yep. you know, he couldn't keep his, his stuff in his pants. And I, honestly, it was a part of the culture back then, that's, to be honest, and being a pastor is still kind of a, a stigma you would say like i wouldn't say it's we a part of the culture yeah so you know i think and that to me that does not sully his legacy it turns him you can t- probably take him off a pedestal that certainly happens but he is a human being and what the things he was doing at nighttime you know doesn't 100 percent you know um Sully what he was doing for 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 black people and we have to stop demonizing people when they do like even like at what's her name Tammy Sawyer Tammy Sawyer was a black woman she is a um uh, what is she she's on the city council in Memphis she was running for for mayor a couple years ago and she is a progressive as well I think she would have been she would do great things for Memphis but um some of her old tweets came out and I forgot what she said, something about some white kids. But that pretty much took her out the race. And now Memphis probably is losing out on someone progressive that has new ideas because we're because what she said a couple years ago and probably some shit that was true to be honest. But you know, I and and if we talked about that or if Martin Luther King was someone now, if we talk about him cheating and stuff like that, which is also and I do not want to make this comparison. This is going to be a... I want to... This is a disclaimer. This is a horrible disclaimer. <laughs> I mean, a horrible comparison. Because when I think about someone that's cheating and you don't really want to hear what they have to say, I think about T.I. But T.I. does not organize in a way that Martin Luther King um, did. And he'll probably never will because he... Um, that ego, um, he thinks he's doing that in Atlanta when he doesn't he hasn't even done like a probably a tenth of the work but i say that to say that again to to further that point that we can talk about martha luther king in an honest way and still be able to celebrate him for the things that he was doing and i'll button it there because i'm ashamed of even making bringing ti up in this conversation but that's the first person that came to my mind but um yeah, um, there's a comrade that I have um, in the work that I do in Philadelphia, and she said that she doesn't believe in doing uh, community service on Martin Luther King weekend. And once she said that, I was like, that's so true. Like, what people use Martin Luther King weekend is for black people to go out there and, and labor over something that basically, like, uh, doing community work when really that community needs actual resources from the government and not us out there, you know, doing, putting a little dent in whatever issues that may be in these communities. And if anybody needs to be doing work, it's white people. You get out there and and do some community service in these um, neighborhoods that you seem to think you care about because you really don't. Black people, take a rest day if you can. Because I don't think Martin Luther King would... I don't think that honors him by going out and serving homeless people food. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's something he wants to do. Or cleaning up your community. or That is cute and all, but that's not how... I think there are other ways to honor his legacy 
in a more impactful way. And that sounds fucked up coming out too. But <laughs> I, I don't I don't subscribe to doing labor on Martin Luther King weekend. And I think others should not either. But I mean that's all I have. I hope we can um really push to to get a full picture of Martin Luther King. I would love to see um I feel like we've never gotten a movie about him that was right. Or like a like a like a, a biopic or you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a real a real like a real version. You know what I mean? That's not whitewashed. That's like yeah. some Malcolm X shit. His was really good. I'm a, that's why I'm trying to hold off on Malcolm X because I'm going to talk about him in a second. Um, I'll go on to TV. I'm going to lighten this up. I hope I conveyed what I was trying to say in, a, in a, at least a decent manner. But um, I'm going to go on to TV. Um, let you know what I've been watching. Of course, I have been watching... The uh, premiere of Married at First Sight came on the 13th. Um, There are five couples, two black ones, and we have an interracial couple as well. This is, they say it's the first one, but it's really not. Um, Q, I wouldn't suggest watching it because the first one's three hours long. Oh my God. The first episode was three hours long. That's how I know Meredith Firesight is making them money over their lifetime. Because you are here giving us three-hour episodes. Um, so, the first couple I want to talk about is the interracial one. Because when we first talked about it, we said we need to see what kind of black person that they match this white woman with. And there's no surprise of what we got. Um, so, it's Ryan. He he has two black parents, so he is he's black, but um, he grew up in around black. I mean, not black. He grew up around white people all his life, and he talked about how he had great relationships with white women, and <laughs> and so it, he was what I expected. I assumed that he asked to be matched with a white woman, and that's what they gave him. What's very interesting is that his brother makes an appearance, and it's clear that his brother is definitely of the culture. He, like Ryan, has his all his friends are white. Um, a pretty, uh, he probably has only dated white women. His hair style is, it. I know he ain't going to no one's black barber, um, but um, when we see his brother, his brother looks like he does not want to interact with these white friends he just looks like can we hurry up and get this done but anyways i think that they will make it though clara i want to mention that she said when she pictures her husband she pictures someone racially ambiguous so i'm also assuming she wanted someone that was not white and i think they will probably mesh very well clara is actually very likable um but we will see how they go on moving forward i do think that they will remain married the second couple i want to talk about is brianna or brianna and vincent i think i'll have to ask i think brianna's from memphis if i'm not mistaken so if she is shout out to the home team we're gonna be rooting for you brianna um vincent is latin they keep picking him as black I mean, he could very much could be both, but he definitely has a, a Spanish accent to me. So we'll see. They both seem pretty good. I think they will also make it. Now, the last couple is what I think a lot of folks will be looking at. Um, it's Chris and Paige. Chris is, to me, a walking red flag. However, Chris and Paige are both superficial people. Um... Chris and they're they're superficial and they um are re- super religious with an asterisk. Um, I know Q, you said you were tired of seeing the religious black people, but this is like a mm-hmm. religious black couple with a spin. So they both make really good money. They care about having like a legacy and they want to be the power couple. So that's why I think they'll make it. However, and they both. 
I'll start. Chris said he wanted a submissive woman that was a freak. And as crazy as it sounds, that's what Paige is. She wants to be submissive and she is very open about sex, which I appreciate because we do not get to see a lot of religious black people also be sexual on TV. So I do appreciate that. But I think Chris is a red flag because he's fresh out of an engagement. He was engaged like a couple of months before starting this process. And judging by the the previews, I don't know, they could be making it super dramatic, but they're trying to make it seem like he may have um, a baby on the way in this process. So we'll see. I am on the fence. I kind of want to say that I, judging by what they say they want, they could stay together, but I feel like it's going to be a lot of shenanigans surrounding them. So we'll see. I definitely still will be talking about this every week because I'm obsessed and I'm waiting for them to come back to Philly. So the second show I've been watching is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. This is the last season of this show. It's not necessarily black content, but there are a few black characters um, that I hope can get a spinoff somehow because those are the characters that everybody liked anyway. Ain't nobody stunned Sabrina. We like Prudence who is a black witch that was in the school at down, well, they weren't in hell, but she's in the underworld. She's a, a witch. Um, so that has Tati, Gabrielle, Jazz Sinclair, Chance Perdomo, and Sky P. Marshall. I do, even minus her name, um, they have a Haitian priestess that does like hoodoo, even though her name is like Mama Mambo or something like that. It's a terrible name, but I appreciate them kind of highlighting that a little bit in this show. This last season is, I'm not enjoying it as much as I did the third season, but this is the last one, so I'm going to keep pushing it and, and finish it up. Um, the last show that I watch is WandaVision. That's on Disney+. Plus. Okay, I'm going to be really honest. I am not a Marvel person. I, I The only Marvel movies I've watched was Black Panther. Um... And I don't really, I've never seen Iron Man. I've never seen the Avengers or uh, Endgame. None of that. So me watching this, I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. It's very much so set like um, a sitcom in the 50s. And it's, you're going to have to sit and, and look at it as that. Like think of like you're watching Leave it to Beaver or something. Because, I mean, the way they talk, well, the Mm-hmm. It's a lot like um, I Love Lucy. I think was the the uh, was the original set for it, like or the original mm-hmm. what they're paying homage to those sitcoms. Yes. Mhm. Um, the laugh track is there, uh, but we know that the husband is Vision, and I don't know what Wanda's name is. Wanda has powers. Vision is a superhero. Um, and that's all I can give you. Like, I am definitely not the person. Uh, I know, some, I read something that said they are, like, little bits from, like, the Endgame movie that you see. Uh, but I'm watching it because Tiana Paris is in this in this show. And I know that Tiana Paris is going to be Iron Man, right? Is that right? You don't know? <laughs> I don't think so. Why would she be Iron Man? Iron Man is a woman, a black girl. The net, the one after Robbie Downer Jr. is a black. The next Iron Man is a black woman, and she is. She got cast to be. She's going to be a part of the Marvel universe. Okay, yeah, I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. So that's news <laughs> to me. I think I know her name is like Monica Robinow or something like that. I think she she is she going to be Iron Man. See, this is two people that don't know nothing about Marvel, child. Uh, do black people get into comics like that? Like, I know we watch them, but do we, like, uh, get into yes. them like that? Definitely. Okay, my bad. Definitely. Um, you know, they're like the people that's like, oh, you got to read the comics to know it's going on. And, I mean, I'm assuming you probably do to know what direction it's going in. Uh, but um, I, she's in there for a reason. And so far, she's the only black character, and I'm literally only watching it for Tiana Paris. I'm also going to look up and see. Yeah, her name is Monica Rambo. Oh, she's going to be Captain Marvel. Wait. I don't know. Let me stop lying to y'all. This, I don't this know. is turning into a bag segment. 
Yeah, mo- yeah. <laughs> we just yeah, just keep moving. Anybody that likes Marvel is probably like their ears are bleeding and they hate yeah. us now. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like Marvel. My ears are bleeding. I said the only thing I watch is Black Panther. Good thing I didn't mention X Men because that's the only other superhero movies I watch. I just not it's not my thing. But anyway, on two movies that I watched this week. Um, actually, I'm gonna start with this other one first. So I watched Fatal. Um, it, it you have to pay for it unless you have alternative resources. Um, it has Michael Ely, Mike Coulter, Damaris Lewis. Um, Ty, is it Tyen or Tyron? Tyron Turner, who is also came from Men's to Society. I did not expect him in this movie, so it was really good to see him. Um, and he wasn't in there for like no, like five minutes. Like he's in the movie. Um, it is Michael Ely's character is dealing with uh, a white woman, and it's one of those movies the ending is predictable but the ride to get to the end is entertaining i'll say that what was that movie with neil long and uh omar epps that we all hated i don't know but it looked like the same damn movie it's yeah it it falls in line Mm -hmm. with those movies or that damn beyonce movie with that other white girl ali larder obsessed um but there are little it they took different routes. I I enjoyed it. I was entertained. I watched the movie. I said, "Oh, I wasn't expecting this." But did it end like the other movies? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so of course it did. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not against it. Like I think it is worth the watch. So I think it was close to two hours too. So like I said, either you can pay for it or you can use um, alternative options. Now, the other movie that I watched, which a lot of people are excited about, is One Night in Miami. It's on Amazon Prime. This is a movie that was directed by Regina King. It stars Leslie Odom Jr., Aldous Hodge, Kingsley Ben-Adir, and Eli Gorey. And this movie is about the night in Miami where it's after Muhammad, well, at this point, he still catches clay. And he is, it's after his fight against Sonny Liston. And this happened in real life. There was a meeting between Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, Malcolm X, and Muhammad Ali. Now, the details of this night, we really don't know. So the movie is kind of like a what if. Like, this is maybe what they were talking about. This is based off a stage play. So there is a lot of dialogue. This movie is two hours long. But I think it's worth the watch, and I really loved, my favorite aspect of it is Malcolm X and Sam Cooke going back and forth. They, I mean, there are really good points made, and it's talking about, you know, kind of the progression of black people, our places in, in, in the movement, or their places in the movement, you know, how black people should be. And I want to mention, like, um, like I said, he was Cassius Clay at the time. This is the day before, I believe, he announced he was um, converting to Islam and changed his name to Muhammad Ali. So he is up and coming in the boxing world. Jim Brown was up and coming. He was dealing with, he was successful in football and was wanting to make a transition to Hollywood. He was very, um, I didn't know how powerful he was back then. So it was kind of good to learn that. You also have Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke was someone that was, he had his own um, music label, which was a big deal at the time. And he was really working to make sure artists got paid for their work. Black artists got paid for their work. And of course we have Malcolm X, who during this time, this is in February of 1965. So we're a few months um, before he gets, it's a few months. It's a year before he gets killed, I believe. So, um, I think it's happened in 1964. Yeah, because he killed. He got killed in 1965, and we know that Sam Cooke was killed in 64. So it was months before Sam Cooke got killed, and then Malcolm X got killed after that. So I think it was a very good. Regina did an excellent job. Um, I'm not going. You know how black? I don't want to call it a black film. 
films with uh, all black cast we know they don't really get the nominations like that maybe with um i mean regina king has pull and in notoriety on her own so maybe they'll get some nominations i'm not sure but i really think it's a really good film q i really do think you'll like it it also led me to watch um on netflix it's a documentary called the two killings of sam cook because i also didn't realize the um how influential sam cook was when it comes to music in the music industry and i think it's a People can learn. We always talk about, we mentioned several times how black people get ahead of these damn labels and do black people dirty. And Sam Cooke wasn't about that. And he wasn't in it because of the money. And I think that's a big difference. So definitely check those out. Really, really, really good. I'm going to move on to music. There are some albums that came out. Division came out. Do you listen to Division? Uh, sometimes my wife does for sure, but yeah, I, I my my problem with with male R and B singers like today is that they're mad whiny. Like I can't stand it. Um, I don't listen to them consistently, but I did listen to this album. It's called um, "Amusing Her Feelings." Now it's on title is broken up into different um albums, like but what I. Uh, so there's a muse in her feelings, and then there's amusing her feelings that has all the songs on one thing. So um, the first single was Between Us featuring Snow Allegra. That's been out for a couple of months. I liked No Crying feature, uh, featuring Future. I also like Blessings in Outlandish. I thought that it was a really good album overall, seeing that I don't listen to them often. Um, I also came across... Um, a new girl on title. Her name is Asian, but it's spelled A S I A H N, and it had five songs on there. It's called The Interlude. She's definitely one of those vibey singers. So, um, but she can sing, and I, I did like that project. It's not her first project, but it's the one. It just came out, and I just so happened to see it. Um, Ruby Rose also put out an album. I think these are called albums or maybe an ep i'll say they came out in eps so ruby rose um came out with for the streets and it's ruby rose came out for for the streets and it's eight songs long um to be honest did i care for it no but i think the issue was her beats the choices they made I think they tried to um, experiment, which I'm not against. I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Um, I, I still like Ruby Rose. I really love her voice as a rapper, but um, I'll look out for the next project. And um, another female rapper that came out with a song was Flo Millie. She came out with Roaring Twenties. Um, you know, she's my girl. So I'm really uh, feeling that song. And I look forward to... Um, more music that she puts out because she put out an album last year this is a, a new single so i look forward to hearing more from flo millie um i'm gonna uh, do you a favor on asian there's a song she came out with maybe about a year ago called uh night in london or yeah one night in london mm-hmm. it's uh it's a banger i'm gonna tell you that right now and by a banger i mean like one of them sexy so slow songs but uh it's it, like literally that's how I found her. It's called that song. Really? You said a what? A night in London? Yeah. Okay. I'll look that up. Um, and my C for the week is Reup Reedy. She is from New Orleans. We love New Orleans. And she uh she raps mostly over uh bounce beats. So of course you'll be able to dance while listening to her. Um her let's see i like the rules and hot girl and just look her up it's re-up reedy r-e-u-p-r-e-e-d-y so re-up reedy love it um i think that's that's all i have for this week ain't nothing else crazy happening oh let me sorry let me pay homage to the one and only Lori harvey for a second um, this past week, 
she made it official with Michael B. Jordan. They both posted pictures together. And I stand. I love it. People want to dog Lori Harvey when she is a young girl in her 20s dating. And Michael B. Jordan is What's fine. the fascination with this girl? Like, why? This girl does not talk, does not, <laughs> like, other than, the, than her thought, like, why? what is the fascination with this young girl? She, one, I think the biggest thing is she was dating Future and she didn't get pregnant. That's probably one thing. But she is known for dating um, known men in the music industry. And, of course, it's it's so easy to call a woman a hoe when she's dating. We don't know what she's doing. We ain't in her panties. We don't know who she fucking who she not fucking. But um, she's doing what she needs to be doing as a 20-year-old. Um, she dated Trey Songs. She dated Future. She may or may not have dated Diddy and his son. And now she's dating um, Michael B. Jordan. And we know there's a rumor that Michael B. Jordan didn't even like black girls. So this is like a, a whoa. I'm one of those people that believe that too. I'm going to be honest. But um, it's, it's cute to see. I think they're really cute. I'm excited. Uh, I hope, you know, if she likes them, she likes them. If she don't, girl, move on to the next. Okay, that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> so we're going to move on to Black Women Make History too. And this week I want to talk about Septima Clark. Septima Clark was born May 3rd, 1898 in Charleston, South Carolina. After graduating high school in 1916, she began teaching children, but also held adult literacy classes. Through her membership with the NAACP, she was able to petition for more black teachers and principals in schools. In 1945, she also lended a hand with a case that Thurgood Marshall was working on that were, um, that helped try to get black teachers equal pay. In 1956, Clark lost her teaching job and pension after the state prohibited teachers from participating in civil rights organizations. This change led her to the Highlander Folk School in Monteagle, Tennessee, where she became the director. Her successful literacy program, Hell at the Highlander, was integrated into the SCLC's Crusade for Citizenship. This program taught literacy, leadership development, how to protest racism, and cultural pride. Clark became the first female executive member of the SCLC as a director of education and teaching. In 1979, she received the Living Legacy Award from Jimmy Carter. So we thank you, Septima, Septima Clark, for realizing the importance of literacy in our black communities and dedicating your whole life to educating others. So we thank you and we appreciate you. Thank you. And that's all I have for this week, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.